You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR Digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast on this fine day. It's crisp outside, which is a nice feeling on a Saturday morning. Today, we're going to start the program as we have for uh, a number of weeks with voices uh, raised in support of Palestine because the horror continues uh, and it is a worldwide horror, not just uh, the epicentre in Palestine, but it's the lack of world order um, and law and order uh, that is reflected in the destruction of, of Gaza and the West Bank and uh, the impunity that is given to the Israelis, to uh, the Zionists, to, in order to make this happen. And also, I guess, the uh, governments uh, and the uh, uh, fossil fuel industries, uh, the corporations and the uh, shareholders that are enabling this destruction uh, for the benefit of the few and the uh, um, loss for humanity in general and the environment in general, which is what this is, what, uh, the expression of what's going on in Palestine and on the Gaza and West Bank is actually uh, an expression of. We're going to hear some voices from the Sydney uh, rally on the 4th of uh, February, given to me by uh, the wonderful Vivian Langford. We're going to hear vo- young voices today. We're going to hear a 17-year-old uh, who comes, whose family come from Gaza, Rita Imad, and we're going to hear uh, Yasmin Johnson, who's a Jewish anti-Zionist, and uh, she's a uni student for Palestine. And we're going to finish that sequence off with a voice uh, from England, London. Uh, it was part of the Trade Union Solidarity Webinar, Session 1, Trade Unions Against the Arms Trade with Israel. They've been uh, extremely active from day one. Uh, Stella Swain, she's from the Campaign Office of Palestine Solidarity Campaign, uh, and she talks about their ongoing um targeting of Barclays Bank and its ongoing financial support of the Israeli state. Uh, it's a, a interesting uh, listen. We move on to talk to Lev- Levanya Pant. She's from th- 350.org. We're going to find out a little bit more about what 350.org is and a number of events that they've got coming up in Melbourne, an environmental group fighting a good fight. 
Um, we're going to then hear about a new publication. It's come out of Palava uh, Press. Uh, it's giving voice to the refugee experience. It's by Abdul Samad Haddari, who now lives in uh, New Zealand in Wellington. This is his second book. Uh, it is a, an incredible uh, book of poetry and we're going to hear from him and also a one of his poems. And Donald Sutherland is going to join us at the end of the show um, talking about aspiration. He's going to put aspiration under the microscope, uh, which is always a riveting listen on Solidarity Breakfast with any stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday with the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years the Nakba ethnic cleansing occupation of the West Bank East Jerusalem and Gaza Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Here on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie on 3CR, your community radio station. And as you heard at the beginning of the uh, sequence of this morning, uh, calling for subscribers. Our subscriber drive starts on the 12th of February this month. If you're listening for free, make sure that you put a a little bit of money in. Uh, You can see the uh, prices uh, for uh, sharing the load uh, financially of this wonderful station. Uh, Show your support. Go online. You can see there's graded um, uh, subscription uh, it's unwaged concession, pensioner $40 a year, uh, waged $80, band organisation 150 and solidarity 300 cheap at the price. As I said, we're starting the program with Voices for Palestine and uh, we're going to hear from, first up, Rita Imad. We'd like to welcome our next speaker, Rita Imad, who is from Gaza and who is a high school student and a Palestinian activist. Welcome, Rita. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on we stand to, that we stand today. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and I acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. My name is Rita Mundur Hassan Abdul Hamid Imad, and I am a 17-year-old Ghazawi, but pre-Nakba, my roots trace back to Yibna and Julus. My dad was born and raised in Gaza, and it is where my mum spent most of her life. I had the life-changing experience of visiting Gaza just over a year ago, and the top that I am currently wearing is from a store in Sheikh Radwan, Gaza, that is no longer standing today. During my two month stay in Gaza, I met the most amazing people, I ate the most incredible food, and I made the most unforgettable memories. 
Just a few days ago, the United Nations released a report describing the economic state of Gaza post 7 October 2023. Among the statistics and numbers, one stood out to me in particular. It will take until 2092 for Gaza to reach the economic state it held in 2022. In, in almost five months, Israel has carried out a violent genocide whose destruction means it will take almost 70 years for Gaza to be rebuilt. In the past five months, over 50% of Gaza's buildings have been destroyed. Over 27,000 Gazawis have been murdered and over 66,000 have been injured, including lifelong diseases such as paralysis and loss of limbs. In almost five months, the Israeli occupation has unleashed a sense of destruction on our people that we have not seen since the original Nakba in 1948. They have destroyed my homeland that I was just in, in over a year ago. They have destroyed the birthplace of over a hundred of my cousins where they were raised and educated. I saw Gaza's beauty for myself. We visited the most beautiful mosques, the most famous restaurants and the most breathtaking beaches. All these places have now been bombed. The occupation has taken these experiences from us and we will never be able to relive them again as a result from the genocide that the international community is, is complicit of. They have destroyed every aspect of my life despite being so far away from the homeland. I cannot bear to watch the news anymore out of fear that I will see another family member dead. I learnt that my uncle was martyred as my family was gathered watching Al Jazeera one night. My cousin Minna, whom is just a year younger than me, appeared on the screen from the Al Shifa hospital. Her face was covered in dust. They have destroyed our grief. We cannot even mourn in peace. Our people's corpses have been painted over social media like an aesthetic. We have lost the right to mourn in peace and bury our family members in decency. Instead of playing and enjoying the innocence of life, my five-year-old cousin Sham is now living with her family in a tent despite the fact that it is the middle of winter right now in Gaza. Twelve-year-old Tala, whom already suffers from PTSD from previous bombings, like so many, it is only getting worse. Six-month-old Habiba only knows life under the occupation. Where is the outrage? Where are the leaders calling for an end to the displacement and murder of my people and my family? The world has failed Gaza. They have watched our people bleed to death on the screens and what have they done? Nothing. They refuse to stand against the occupation and on the right side of history. Shame to every leader and every individual who has watched the 2023 Gazan genocide and done nothing. The blood of my people and my family is on your hands. And there will come a day where they will all be held accountable. There will come a day where every victim's story will be broadcasted worldwide. There will come a day where I will be able to share the stories of my family that was martyred and stolen from me by the genocide. There will come a day where the stories of every martyr from the 27,000 will be brought to light. And on that day, no leader will be able to hide that they were complicit in the massacre and genocidal murder of my people. Because we are a people who do not forget. No matter what ceasefire is achieved or peacement agree is, is finalised, the Palestinian people will remain steadfast in our fight for justice. 
We will continue fighting for liberation, not order, because there is no such thing as peace until my mounted family is able to lay in, is able to lay in peace and power. There is no such thing as an end to this occupation until I am able to drive from Gaza to Jerusalem. No questions, no checkpoints, and I am a member. And I stand here as a fighter that will not rest until it happens. My name is Rita Mundar Hassan Abdul Hamid Imad. I am 17 years old and I am a proud Gaza Uyghur. I come from a people that possess a strength this world dreams to learn about. My blood runs with the bloods of warriors and I stand here today after 120 days of the Palestinian genocide to say that the occupation has not destroyed our spirit. I stand here after 120 days to say that the Ghazawis will rebuild because we are people that do not know defeat. Our resilience is one the world will write history books about. We will continue to tell our stories because they cannot silence us. They cannot occupy our identity or gentrify our suburbs or colonize our language. The Israeli occupation thinks they can defeat us, but they cannot occupy our warrior spirits. What the occupation fails to realize is that the Palestinian people are here to stay. We are here to stay and we are here to fight. Thank you. Now we're going to hear from a university student fighting for Palestine. And it's at a very timely moment. The campuses are about to go back and there is a national student strike planned on the 29th of February, which Yasmin will talk more about. So Yasmin Johnson here, she's an activist from UTS. She's been a long-running activist for Palestine, part of the Students for Palestine group that exists all around the country, organising these movements. She's also an anti-Zionist Jewish activist. Her grandparents are in the Holocaust. And she's here fighting for Palestine today. So please make her welcome, Yasmin. Thank you. 
Forces recently posted videos of the destruction of Israel University in the south of Gaza City. And a, the, a university, the university staff there said Israel had been occupying, Israel used the campus at a, as a military base and a detention facility for months and then they destroyed it. And they've been deliberately targeting academics, people like Doc, Dr. Rafat al people who are activists, who are writers, who are standing up uh, for the freedom of Palestinians. What future will Israel leave for young people in the wake of this genocide? That's the question students here are asking. And we want our politicians to know that we don't want a future where our prime minister, our foreign minister, our premiers and the rest of the politicians cheer on genocide. We know that these people and their friends in Israel and the US are the faces of occupation and injustice. These people are the ones who have ensured that there has been not a single day of peace in the world any day in our lifetimes. And if these people get to keep making the decisions in the world, there will not be a day of peace. They will keep writing their history soaked in blood. Students are going to stand up to this. We want to show the supporters of this genocide that their system will not go on undisturbed. We've been doing this around the world. In the US, hundreds of students pouring out of their high schools. And in the UK this Wednesday, our students and activists and unionists will be holding days of action right at the start of their school terms. In Australia last year, students from Palestine organized two school strikes and hundreds of high schoolers across the country walked out of their classes uh, to demand freedom and justice. What was the response of the so-called defenders of freedom and democracy in the world? To say that high school students should, in the words of New South Wales Education Minister Prukar, that they should stay in their lane. They were told by Education Minister Jason Clare that if they want to change the world, they should patiently wait and get an education. Yay! Young people in Gaza don't have that choice. The world has not given them the choice. And so we're going to walk out of schools and universities again on the 29th of February. <laughs> Students in every major city will be rallying to say that we are not going to forgive or forget the tens of thousands of Palestinian lives that have been stolen. We will not forgive or forget our government. 
You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. And we're just hearing the last part of a speech given by Yasmin. Uh, <laughs> wild speech, in fact. Um, sorry, I just uh, was really quite involved in that kind of listening to that. Yasmin Johnson, she's a Jewish anti Zionist uh, and uh, she's part of the University Students Action Group for uh, Palestine. And as uh, she said, there's going to be a national. Uh, action by students on the 29th of February. Um, we, she, her, her speech was preceded by uh, a riveting speech by Rita Imad, whose family are from Gaza, and she has lost uh, her people in this conflagration. Um, the uh, final part of this uh, part of the show, uh, looking at Gaza and uh, Palestine and the genocide. We go to London, we go to a, a, um, an event that was put on by the Trade Union Solidarity Organisation. It's uh, If you want the whole piece, you'll find it on YouTube. It's Session 1, Trade Unions Against the Arms Trade with Israel. And it's Stella Swain. She's from the campaign's office of the Palestine Solidarity Campaign that's been uh, working tirelessly to raise awareness of what's going on. Our final speaker this evening is Stella Swain. She's the Campaigns Officer for Youth and Students. Thanks so much, Louise. Um, and thank you, Jamal Mohammed. Um, that's a you know, very difficult act to follow and really important to hear from you um, directly from Palestine. Um, and it follows really nicely because I'm going to talk about um, our Barclays campaign, as Louise said, um, and Israel can only maintain its colonial system of oppression and the ongoing genocidal attacks that we've heard about this evening because of the equipment, services and funding that it's receiving from a range of companies like Barclays. Um, so that's what we mean when we say that there is an international complicity in Israel's genocide. So globally, these powerful companies are bankrolling Israel's attacks daily, providing the financial support, if not building the weapons themselves, and are even profiting from a genocide that we're currently seeing unfold in front of us. Um, so it's this international complicity which the call for boycott, divestment and sanctions that came from the Palestinian BDS National Committee in 2005 highlighted. And it's that that calls on us as the international solidarity movement um, to take up uh, boycott, divestment and sanctions as tactics um, and as goals to um, work towards in our campaigning. Um, and these tactics work best, as most tactics do, when they're specific, used as part of a directed and coordinated campaign that's bigger than just one individual or a group and that has really clear goals. Um, so that's why we're targeting Barclays Bank at the moment. Um, our research has uncovered that Barclays holds over £1 billion in shares and provides over £3 billion in loans and underwriting to nine companies whose weapons, components and military technology are currently being used by Israel in its attacks on Palestinians. Um, so this includes companies like Elbert Systems, which produce the armoured drones, the munitions and the artillery weapons that are used by the Israeli military, um, and also BAE Systems, um, which manufactures key parts of the F-35 jets, which are currently used in strikes on Gaza. Um, and uh, BAE Systems, I read a report the other day that 
um, apparently they've seen an increase um, in their share prices. So their share prices have actually been rising since October. So these these companies are actually profiting um, off of the genocide that Israel is committing um, in Gaza. Um, so prov by providing investment and financial services to these arms companies, Barclays is not only actively facilitating Israel's ongoing and brutal attacks, but is actually financially benefiting from these massacres. And so we in this campaign and as people of conscience across Britain and across the world, we're saying no more of this. We're calling for a mass boycott of all Barclays services, like the one which brought down Barclays complicity in South African apartheid in the 1980s, until the bank ends its shameful complicity in Israel's attacks on Palestinians. Because as, as I just mentioned, and as we all know, um, Barclays complicity in apartheid isn't new. When in the 1970s, Barclays was bankrolling apartheid in South Africa, anti-apartheid campaigners ran a massive campaign to boycott Barclays, which included disrupting the bank's annual general meetings, students' unions forcing closure of branches, massive rallies and thousands of institutional and individual consumers closing their accounts. Um, so we can see there that it was the power of mass mobilisation that forced Barclays to withdraw from South Africa in 1986. And now in 2024, we're back, demanding that they end their complicity once more in apartheid and genocide. So pressure is building. We've seen trade unions take up the call and urge their members to close their Barclays accounts. We've seen students unions pass motions committing to never bank with Barclays. Days of action have happened almost weekly with protests, sit-ins and occupations in towns and cities across Britain calling for Barclays to end their complicity. And we've set up a pledge system online so that people can both pledge never to bank with Barclays while they're complicit, um, and if they have an account, can pledge to close it. Um, and I think this is kind of the, the breaking news, but so far we've had over 1,500 pledges from, pe from people committing to shutting their Barclays accounts, which has a huge impact. Barclays will receive thousands of emails and letters this Friday outlining exactly why they're losing custom. And we've seen before that this kind of mass public pressure can really create real change. Um, so Friday isn't the only day that we're taking action. We're going to keep escalating. We're going to keep taking over Barclays branches, picketing outside their banks and holding days of action in communities up and down the country until we win. We will force Barclays to drop their complicity and we will succeed in holding companies like Barclays responsible for their complicity in Israel's war crimes. And we'll keep doing it together as a trade union movement, but also as a student movement, as a, as a solidarity movement that is way broader than, um, than any of the forces that try to oppose us. So thank you so much um, for listening and make sure if you have a Barclays account that you close it, you, you use our, the link on our um, website, I think it will go into the comments section um, or you can go onto the PSC website um, and you'll be able to find it there uh, to pledge to close your Barclays account on Friday the 9th um, if you have one and if you don't have a Barclays account make sure you pledged that you um, use Barclays until they completely um, end all of their complicity in Israeli apartheid. From the river to the sea You messing with Gaza, you messing with me Palestine all on my feet
I'm seeing my people deceased. They killing our children ain't even discreet. These murderers tasting our blood like it's sweet. Someone who says silent been pissing me off. These Hollywood calling give 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 it off. Who's the real goal? Cause that sure ain't LeBron. Khaled is the biggest bitch of them all. Me with the two. Tell the media that we ain't fools. They pushing this narrative like it's a war between two. Which simply ain't true. One side is oppressive, the other's oppressed. And guys are all alone over 2,000 deaths. They call us barbaric, now make it make sense. I'm fighting for palace, that's all I'm less breath, and I'm gone. From the river to the sea. Palestine. You messing with Gaza, you messing with me. Got these eyes on you. In front of the embassy, 2,000 feet. Got these signs on And when we show up, they gon' block out these streets. Palestine. I'm seeing no peace in this war What side are you on can't be both You witnessing genocide, where is the love? Some of y'all really too picky to talk I swear on my mother, I'm livid I can't stop this anger within me So all of my people are running this city in sovereignty I pray that we witness the prophecy uh, From the river to the sea Don't you be acting surprised We shot in our brief all our steam This the biggest movement alive Ain't nobody in my pockets, I'll say what I want Killing one life is like killing us all so. Tell me what side of history you want It better be guys on my dog From the river to the sea Palestine You messing with guys or you messing with me Got these eyes In front of the embassy, 2000 deep Got these signs And when we show up, they gon' block out these streets Palestine will be free Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm State Library this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, and we're going to now talk with Lavanya Pant. She's the national organiser of 350.org. Lavinia, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Now, explain to my listeners what 350.org is. Tell them about it. Yeah, so we are originally a global organisation and we have an Australian chapter and we are a movement, uh, grassroots, building a grassroots movement for climate justice and we started as, you know, we're 
uh, shifting the power of fossil fuels and we want to build a movement powerful enough to stand up to the fossil fuel industry while transferring that power to communities that are building solutions on the front lines to First Nations communities and uh, in solidarity with the Global South communities as well. And so one of the uh, important elements is uh, raising awareness. Yes, it's raising awareness. We do, uh, people form grassroots groups. That's how we build our power. And then that way we, people come in, we can skill them up, they find their community and um, they do our campaigns in uh, their community. And yeah, and raising aware is very much part of being part of a local group in 350. So um, the power is local, but obviously it's thinking globally. Yes. That's right. Okay, and so what I, I noticed was that um, the local group is doing a film screening uh, and a meet and greet on February the 12th at the Collingwood Library. Do you want to tell people about that? Yes, yeah, so uh, on February, it's actually February 13th, which is the Tuesday, Okay. and uh, at 6.30pm at the Collingwood Library, and we are watching a documentary called Swallowed by the Sea by Al Jazeera. So 350 has two campaigns. We have our fossil-free campaign, our island, our home campaign. So that our island, our home is a totally Torres Strait-led campaign. And this move, uh, movie follows our, our Torres Strait campaigner, Yesse Mosby, on his island home of Masik, where Torres Strait Islanders are fighting against sea level rise and uh, high tides and impacts of climate change on their land, culture, totems. Uh, and community, and um, this is a bit of a spoiler, but um, the Torres Strait Eight, um, it's really a story of, you know, eight leaders from eight different islands getting together and taking the Australian government to court yep. uh, in the UN and winning this um, landmark case that um, the, the, the UN decided that the Australian government was violating uh, Torres Strait Islanders' human rights by not acting on climate change and not doing all in their power to helping them adapt to climate change. So um, it was a landmark ruling which has um, you know, so many implications for people, Indigenous people and Islanders around the world. Uh, so that's what we're going to be watching. And um, that is all actually like a pre-event uh, for... We're doing a bigger storytelling tour, so which is going to be on March 6th at Hope Street Radio uh, in Collingwood Yard, where Yese is going to actually come down, and we're also bringing together traditional owners from Gudanji country uh, in the Northern Territory who are uh, facing fracking, fracking corporations in their communities. So to link those stories of fossil fuel extraction and climate impact and First Nations resistance to those, and so that's going to be a really big event. And um, so this event, if people want to come uh, on February 13th to Collingwood Library and watch the movie, have a yarn about, and we'll have a discussion, we'll have pizza and uh, rice paper rolls. And if people want to come down, have a discussion and um, get involved and see how they want to be involved in helping us organize the storytelling tour, uh, that would be great. Everyone is welcome. Um, yeah, and yeah. So tell tell me more about the sto- storytelling tour. So you say it's on March the sixth. I'll have to warn you that on your website it says March the seventh. So you might want to change that. Um, um, yes, we have changed that. We've had a last minute <laughs> venue change. So um, luckily, not many people have um, got word of it yet. So if anyone did buy a ticket, it is has been changed to March sixth. 
uh, at, and to a different venue, which is Hope Street Radio at Collingwood Yard. And so the storytelling tour, we're bringing together those two traditional owners um, and Weaving Our Stories, it's called, and it's really about, um, you know, bringing those uh, stories of fossil fuel extraction and climate impacts and making seeing how the First Nations people are impacting and their resistance. Um, but also we're going to have a panel, uh, which is TBC, of um, people afterwards doing a talk. We're going to have some performers and we will, there will be art, there will be food, um, it's going to be outdoors at the Collingwood Yards and it's going to be really beautiful. And, um, yeah, and that is one place where people can come, hear about our campaign, uh, hear the stories. It's really we're trying to focus on the storytelling aspect, not just the science, not just the science of the emissions, but the storytelling how, um, you know, people are impacted. And, uh, yeah, so it's a really a little bit more transformative than just understanding the science like and coming to the realisation of why we should stand in solidarity with First Nations communities and uh, the Global South communities and that we can't win without standing in solidarity with those communities. I, um, it's fantastic that uh, they're able to come. Traditional owners from the Torres Strait and Tiwi Islands are coming down here to talk to people. Yes, and they're going to be travelling to Brisbane um Sydney and then also going to Womad. So it's like a really big tour that they're doing, going to be to, uh, reaching thousands of people. So it's very exciting. Mm. Tell my listeners where they can find out the information and get tickets because there's donation prices and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So uh, the tickets will be on our website, so which is 350.org.au. Um, and also on our Instagram, if you want to give us a follow, it's 350.org.au as well is the Instagram handle. And on our link tree, you can find the tickets. And then we have a free ticket for, it's a sliding scale. So there's um, a free ticket and um, a $20 donation ticket and a $30 solidarity ticket. So the $20 can, um, covers the cost of the event and the $30 is you helping someone else come to the event. Yeah, and um, just to uh, give people a heads up, if you want to go and find out more about this, go down to the community, the Collingwood Library, at uh, on February the 13th at mm-hmm. what time? Six o'clock? Yeah, it's from 6.30. 6.30, perfect. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much for talking to us this morning, Lavanya. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for your work. Thanks, Annie. <laughs>
Great Frank Yammer and Nujupa uh, Wajupa. What a great singer he is. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and we're going to move on to a, a piece about a new publication via Palis- uh, Afghanistan, Indonesia, Eritrea, New Zealand. The Unsent Condolences. It's a, a, a collection of poems by Abdul Samar. Haidari. Uh, it's being put out by Palava Press uh, and he is a Hazari, uh, former refugee, now ref- resident in Wellington in Aratora, uh, New Zealand. Uh, Beruz Bukani wrote about Abdul's poetry. He, he did a prologue uh, as well as uh, a, an entry uh, piece in the um, there's some it, it's a it's a lovely production this book uh it's got uh, some fantastic uh words uh, at the beginning of the uh piece by different uh people uh that is really compelling and interesting to read and uh Baruz Bukani wrote at the end um open your eyes to the embrace of light shake the dust of colonialization from your shoulders clean the code and numbers off your foreheads. This is a, a quote from A Pairs of Brilliance by Abdul Sabah Hadari, which is part of the poetry collection. But he goes on to say, what resounds with me the most in his poetry is not just how he employs words to challenge a system designed to oppress, strip away his identity. It's how he creates beauty within the context of tragedy, symbolising strength and inspiring empowerment for resistance. I was uh, lucky enough to have a chat with Abdul, uh, and uh, we'll hear from Abdul now, and uh, then I will read one of his poems at the end so that you get a taster for this uh, production uh, that's uh, called The Unsent Condolences by Palava Press. Uh, So, Abdul... um I've uh, read uh, the majority of your poetry, um, Unsent Condolences. Could you tell my listeners a little bit about how this magnificent uh, tome came about? Tell me about the writing of this book of poems. Uh, The Unsent Condolences... uh... 
uh, races to thousands of Hazaras, or perhaps four point more than four point million of Hazaras would have been wiped out during the Abdurrahman time, and since after that. Uh, uh, during the slow, systematic persecution and genocide of the Hazara people, uh, that refers to those people whom I haven't made, whom I haven't seen, and, uh, uh, but I do share a bloodline, and uh, I uh, and in the process uh, of that conduct of genocide against the Hazara people, and I have had losses. I lost my father, I lost my brother, my my brother-in-law, I lost my sister, and had my uh, relatives uh, uh, lost uh, in that process. So these aunts and condolences uh, just uh, came out of uh, out of those uh, tragic events where I haven't been able to say a single thing, where I haven't been able to attend even the funerals of those whom I have left and those whom I have known and those whom I haven't known but do share a bloodline. And, uh, I mean, what you're writing about, I mean, colonisation and genocide, they're, they're not theoretical. This is lived experience. You know, what's going on in Palestine at the moment? What's happened to you you and your people? This genocidal attacks on people for their land um, and from the outside, financed by outside forces. Your poems are showing quite clearly it's, it's not theoretical. This is a lived experience that you're telling us about. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I became a refugee at the age of 10 or 11, and I have been running across borders since then for protection. Uh, I have suffered. I have suffered so much. And uh, uh, when I when I'm when I'm explaining in my poems that the pains and the suffering and the and the and the, the process, the dehumanization, the mistreatments and the the inhuman treatments and the cruelty in human uh, humankind. All the fans have reached my bones and nerves, and I really mean that. Uh, I'm full of pain, and I, I have suffered a lot as a result of uh, uh, systematic uh, uh, annihilation in Afghanistan against the Hazara people uh, by these people who have, uh, who have not been in Afghanistan, and we are the indigenous people of that land, and we have existed before, and these people have been... Uh, welcomed in Kandahar. When you start from Kandahar, Kandahar was purely populated by the Hazara people. Uh, when these people were welcomed in Kandahar, with the passage of time, they started bothering people. And as they increased in population, uh, they very systematically, very systematically, uh, started occupying lands and uh, killing people. And uh, some of the some of the uh, lands and some parts of Afghanistan. Uh, we call from Zabulian to uh, to Gurian, Gurian to Zabulian. So if you start from Balkh province, Balkh, the great uh, bad place to the great poet Rumi, it starts all the way to Herat, were completely occupied and populated by the Hazara people. And uh, and some of the names are still under the Hazara names, and they have uh, they have roots in our language. Uh, for example, Shajoy, Sharisafa, Janda. Uh, Mukur, they are all the 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 the, uh, the the these names are all having roots in the Hazaragi culture and the Hazar in the Hazara history, 
And uh, some of those lands, uh, for example, Gelan and Bakhtu, they are very close to Dahmata, where I, have, where I was born. My grandmother was to- talking about those lands have been confiscated by these people. Uh, that was an act of colonization, not only an act of colonization, but act of colonization not against the lands, but act of colonization against uh, our human rights, act of colonization against our culture, act of colonization against against our language, act of colonization against our religion. Uh, I am not able to write in my mother language poems, and I feel more comfortable writing in English. And I don't feel proud of that, and I feel pen pains and I feel uh, 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 I feel ashamed, not ashamed at the same time. It was all because of the, uh, the oppression and because of the colonization and uh, cultural genocide and language uh, genocide against language and I have lost in the process uh, and uh, I have much more and I could I could I could be uh, I could be Telling those experiences and rhymes in more powerful way, and I have been very much generous in the terms, terminologies, or the metaphors that I have used in the po- my poetry. Well, you know, it's really interesting to me because uh, uh, it, it, it's very uh, revealing for a person like me who's from a completely different culture, a Western culture, to be given at least an. Uh, uh, some insight into your culture. Y- you do that for us. You're a very generous person considering how much uh, uh, has happened to you and how difficult it has been for you. Yeah, and so culture uh, and identity, I think, uh, language, they are, uh, they are the core existence of uh, uh, every human being and uh, the rights to fully practice them, I think, have been given by birth. And so it is painful when, in the process, some people with the power, with the with the help, with the, um, with the help of swords and weapons, and come and take that away. And so we have been the Hazara people have been. Yes, they are labeling. There are so many anthologies labeling people. Leveling to this tribe, leveling to that tribe, leveling with the Mongols, leveling with the Turks, and these and that. But there are I don't I don't believe in those theories that people uh, uh, that people can and write about that. Maybe in the last hundred years, or maybe in the last sixty years, or maybe in the last uh, two hundred years, uh, that, that we the Hazara people have been kept away from uh, uh, from education for the last for the last one hundred more than one hundred sixty years. In, the, in those period of time, they have done whatever they could. Uh, they changed the history of Afghanistan. They changed the history of the Hazara people. They demolished, they murdered whatever they, they found about the, about the Hazara people, as they are doing right now. They are forcing, imposing Pashto language in Afghanistan in most of the schools. Uh, and the primary language that they focus in school, at schools uh, now uh, is a Pashto language, which has been which has been developed by those people of Great Khorasan during uh, during those times, and uh, it is painful. And so I have been generous uh, at some point. Yes, I have been generous, and I it, it really hurts me when I want when I'm not able to uh, to to write in my mother language. Yes, I am I'm gratefully able to communicate in my, my my mother language, but I'm not able to write poem. I'm not. Uh, able to uh, to write uh, 
uh, with uh, full confidence uh, uh, in my mother language, and it really hurts me. Hey, you, you, you take us on a journey from the loss of the village to, uh, and you tell us quite clearly in your poems, you didn't uh, uh, leave uh, um, willingly and that you're not just a refugee, as it were. In fact, you have a very powerful poem at the end of this collection that talks about what you are and uh, that you're not just a refugee because it's about identity, isn't it? That once you lose your That's right. your place, right? That's right, yes. Yeah. I, I fully cleanse on my, uh, my identity at the end of this book, uh, which says I am but more than a refugee. And yes, I am but more than a refugee. And we have, uh, I, we have left behind the amount of wealth that you have and that your grand grand, not you, I'm, 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 I'm uh, not referring to you. And there's most people who are standing across the borders chanting and saying, go back, go back, go back, and we have no place for you. Uh, go back to where you come from. Uh, and we that that is just in response to say that we have left uh, uh, more than that amount of wealth behind, and we have uh, we have uh, uh, we have uh, done that not willingly, and that, that everything happened against our against our uh, our will, and that was not a decision to go and live in another country and leave everything behind. That was just uh, uh, imposed on us, and yet. Uh, despite of what we have gone through, uh, imagine if someone um, becomes a refugee and you know, and that ends up at the construction site and, and faces constant dehumanization, constant in the being dehumanized, whether it is in refugee camps, whether it is by the human rights organizations, whether it is by the society, whether it is by the politicians, whether it, or it is by, by communities and institutions, uh, uh, educational institutions, they completely, they constantly uh, dehumanize you, dehumanize you and oppress and using, are using terms against you, labeling you as a useless, a Western human and uh, a powerless, vulnerable, every type of label uh, you can imagine they put and you know, we are full of labels and there are no space less than our forehead and our body uh, to, uh, to 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 uh, to to embrace more uh, more labels. So in in that response, yes, we are refugees and we struggle, but we are stronger than that, and we are stronger more. We are stronger than most of the communities, most of the people, and I am sure most those people who are standing and uh, being very much anti-human rights. It's, I'm not calling them again anti-refugees, uh, anti because refugees human rights, and it is in the part of the you know, 19, 1951 Convention and Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and it should be, it would be very ignorant of anyone to stand and saying against something against refugees, but I'm calling, I'm calling them anti-human rights. Anti-human rights, when I say anti-human rights, it includes everyone in this universe. It includes those people who are... Uh, this side of water or that side of water, whether they are homeless, whether they are settlers, that includes every human being. And uh, just standing and challenging that, no, we have much more and we are more than that and we are beyond the PTSD levels. Or every time people are calling PTSD and PTSD, they are suffering. And when I came in, it was surprising that everybody was just uh, inviting me to go and do the PTSD programs. And what they tell you in the PTSD programs, tell from the story is from, uh, from the very beginning. And it is just uh, 
putting, giving you a pinch of uh, a fistful of chili and cutting the wounds, uh, scratching the, 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 the sleeping wounds and asking you to rub against those wounds. And uh, in spite of that, we are strong and we make good living and we, uh, 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 we, uh, we engage, we, uh, we, we know how to love and we know how to care and we know how to invest and we know how to contribute and we know uh, perhaps uh, uh, anyone with refugee backgrounds, anyone, uh, all those who have, uh, those who share refugee backgrounds, they have been doing a lot in the development of the society or country. And we are more than that. We are more powerful and we are more strong and we have we have a lot of courage. We have a lot of strength and we have a lot of uh, imaginations and uh, and uh, visions to be shared, to, to be valued, to be respected, to be celebrated instead of just putting people down that way. So that was just uh, me connecting, describing my roots and also saying that, no, I'm not, I'm not going to just... Uh, uh, put my head down and uh, and put my uh, arms or my hands on my chest and listen to whatever the society tells me or how the society levelizes uh, me. No, more than that. And uh, that is how I describe in my poem at the last. Well, you know, uh, it's it's quite extraordinary because you're you are a witness in your poetry, and not only are, are they beautiful but you're a witness to all of the things that you've just been speaking about. And uh, unless it's witnessed, then people can pretend that it never happened. That's right, yeah. I have lived and I have lived every single uh, bit of uh, what I have written. And when I said that it is not only a poem, but parts of me, um, and that is, that is reality. And I have lived through every experience and every word that I put there, I lived them, and I and I lived them not for a short period of time. I lived for quite a long period of time. Castles of shadow, my story is measured like the lines of an ungrammatical sentence, repeatedly corrected by Nick Pickers and Pedants, firing back at every word I utter, and truth gives casualties. Their mouths are full of blaze, teeth sharp as sharks ready to rip the head off my shoulders and burn the rest of me to ashes. So I keep silent, shut my mouth up, biting my lungs up so as not to die. I let the breath of silence suckle your ears. Trails of burning oak swirl up and swallow the roofs of your eyes. I let my sore soul rest, my bleeding nails heal to the swift light of my pen, pouring all in its wakefulness, until that fair flourishing spring breaks out with laughter and casts aside the spells of lingering stillness that build upon my tongue a thousand castles of shadow. October the 14th, 2018, Cesaro Borga, Indonesia. In the morning air I grasped but my hand came up empty Just the gasp you left hanging in the wake of your lament Could she not be this way Or could she somehow 
maybe just be another way. So give up all your ghosts and let them run riot in the cover of a perfect night. Don't you deny it if I ever find love again? Set my soul on fire. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne invites you to join us on Saturday the 17th of February at midday at the State Library, Swanson Street, Melbourne to mark the 20th anniversary of the death in custody of Redfern teenager TJ Hickey. 
Honour the memory of TJ and the many deaths in custody families that now number more than 555 since the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. No one to date has been held responsible for these deaths. We demand end the practice of police investigating police and immediate implementation of all 339 recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Come along Saturday 17th of February, midday, at the State Library. Ischia Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got Don Sutherland on the line. G'day Don, how are you? I'm really well, Annie. <laughs> it's been a bit of a mournful program today, so uh, lots of uh, sad and uh, destroy, uh, distraught things. But uh, you're going to uh, put aspiration under the microscope, aren't you? Yeah, I'd love to have a talk about this, um, what I'm calling the word of the week, aspiration, and uh, uh, and connect that to what's going on with the economy and what will be the ongoing struggle about the standard of living for the majority, the 90% majority who are uh, the working class, whatever its composition. Um, before... Getting into it, though, Annie, my little indulgence is just to let listeners know, if they don't already, that this year is the 100th anniversary of the birth of the great E.P. Thompson. Ah, yes. E.P. Thompson was an English historian and um, described by one commentator as a masterful historian, and his magisterial work, The Making of the English Working Class, is one of the great books in our labour movement. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, uh, first published in 1963, but still available. It's still a great read and very useful for all of those people, the masses of people who are getting into class analysis. The So with that, let's have a talk a little bit about aspiration and its class definition. Um, since the change, since the new income tax regime was talked about and then introduced very quickly by the Labor government, uh, the Liberals have gone nuts, gone breathless, <laughs> almost breathless in their furious reaction. Uh, and it's captured breathlessly by Suzanne Lee, the, dep the uh, shadow treasurer, uh, who um, who uh, said that uh, the Labor package was a lifetime tax on aspiration. Yeah. And there are all sorts of others. And uh, this is a sort of a significant word in a way for a while. I'm not exactly sure how many people believe the nonsense, but the silly sense it might make is that, you know, people might wonder, well, what's wrong with people aspiring to get into... Uh, higher and really high incomes. A lot of people in our movement. Are, um, well, that, you know that that runs alongside the. You were telling me that uh, new evidence is showing that homeless people are dying at the age of forty-four on average. Yeah, the Guardian Weekly was reporting that uh, earlier in the week as well. Yeah, that's an aspiration, isn't it? The average. Um, uh, the average age for people, for homeless people to die is 44 years. 
and that was based on a pretty reliable survey, pretty thorough one. And um, I mean, it just made that made me really very cross and um, upset, and I must say, a little bit more determined to pursue these issues. And it makes so much more sense. You see, in the context of all of this nonsense about aspiration, uh, which the Liberals are going to be peddling very heavily, is what's really going on with the economy right now. And uh, I want to come back to that in a little bit more detail. But the word of the week, aspiration. So uh, I went to the Mind Macquarie Dictionary and uh, there's five different meanings and applications of the word. But the one that's relevant is it's the act of aspiring, um, uh, a, a lofty or ambitious desire. So it's an aspire to do something that is interesting. And what the Liberals are defending is an aspiration for about 5 to 10% of the population in income terms to use existing and acquire new property and money that they can buy and sell uh, with and pay less tax for all that activity, less capital gains and, of course, also negative gearing. So the- oh, before you go on, they don't have an aspiration for the, uh, and their mainstream media mates don't have an aspiration for the CFMEU or the plumbers or the MUA for increasing their wages in their oh, latest EBAs, interestingly uh, enough. Uh, spot on, spot on. So um, DP, uh, the MUA members at DP World who won a wage increase uh, reported at... Um, 25% increase over four years to close the gap to the higher wages paid at the competitor, Patrick, they, that's bad. That's bad aspiration, very bad. Yeah, bad, and bad. If I can... <laughs> I, I promise you I'm not trying to be Kevin, but, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so that's a bad. And uh, the other one that's bad is closing the gap, of course. Yep. Uh, Aboriginal people who get militant about that. Oh, no, that's a bad aspiration. Um, And another one, you can find another example of bad aspiration actually inside the Albanese uh, uh, tax cut formula, the new income tax scales. To the extent that middle-income earners get a bigger tax cut than others in those scales, so it's skewed to middle income uh, rather than the top five ten percent. Um, they some of them get closer to being able to aspire uh, towards maybe owning more than one property or setting up a family trust or whatever, uh, and. That for the Liberals is a bad, <laughs> because they're but they're supposed to be the beast of burden. They're supposed to be the ones carrying this society. Yes, and the, <laughs> the even lower incomes. So uh, the uh, the act of aspiring is actually uh, something that is um, from the Liberals' point of view is something that they pretend ought to be available to everybody 
but which at every turn, both in government and out of government, they try to define and restrict to the 5 or 10%. Or yeah, quarantine it to the very rich. Yes, exactly, exactly. So it's an aspir- what the Liberals are on about on that is an aspiration protection racket. But the reason why I think it's worth having a closer look, um, and I'll just say this one other thing, is that there is a sense even in which uh, the Albo Chalmers changes, what, will be, what is the new scheme that will apply from July 1, is even if in its own way strengthen the cult of aspiration. It doesn't do... It only does minimal harm, if any. It's not going to stop those at the 5 and 10% highest levels. From well, the, as if anything would stop the greed machine. It's not going to stop the practicing, the already established aspirators. But, as, as I say, um, leave intact the possibility of maybe some others breaking into it. <laughs> well, I think everything about the DP world, um, I, I put this in inverted commas, the word scary, is that there will be the odd war figure in there who might be in a position themselves to practice the aspiration by uh, getting a, uh, you know, a second property or something of that nature that they could then play the game, mm. the, especially the negative gearing game. So... Uh, Goodness, I would never expect that. Of course, the effect of that overall and its intent, uh, you know, to the extent that anyone else breaks into that 5 or 10% and the games they play, um, they, um, uh, it it dilutes working-class bargaining power overall. And that, you know, we need to keep an eye on, I think. Well, actually, that that's interesting because there's been this muddying of waters where the people who are professionals uh, are under the pump, while the uh, trades uh, uh, people are often uh, accumulating relatively large amounts of wealth and stability. So our society is completely on its head. So there is a portion of the working class that have got into those aspirational. Um, money uh, practices, and it's a dile- it is a dilemma. I think I don't think that it's huge, but I think it's enough to be of concern because it changes, if you like, the attitude towards solidarity. Well, it, it was uh, part of uh, John Howard's push to have people become shareholders. It's the it, same thing. It embeds self centeredness and selfishness. Yeah. And align the cult of the individual that the Liberal Party says, and I'll quote, I'm quoting from the Liberal Party platform now, quote, we, we simply believe in individual freedom and free enterprise. And if you share this belief, then ours is the party for you. So the, the to the extent that that does in fact, the solidarity commitment of parts of the working class is something we have to take seriously. But of course, what that's, that, that approach to the individual freedom thing, it's really not about individuality. 
It's about the stifling of the potential development of individualities in the majority of the population and the protection of individual freedom as self-centeredness and selfishness, individualism, if you like, not individuality. Because the liberal formula locks people out. Most people are locked out of the full development of their potentiality. So what? They're lying? Well, it's not... I, I don't think we can reduce it to lying. I think it is a... Uh, if you like, it's, a, it's the core of a value system that is essential to the reproduction of exploitation. Yeah, both yeah, that's right. And of human, human beings. Yeah. So I think... And there is an alternative to it. It's another way of looking. A lot of people will say, well, what's wrong with people who do more complex work, both managerial and technical and so on? What's, what's wrong with them being paid at a higher level? Well, t- tell that to university lecturers well, I think on was, casual contracts. Well, I think, uh, I mean, I think the irony of that is that uh, there are an awful lot of um, uh, university intellectuals who establish themselves as lecturers and so on, senior lecturers in the 80s and the 90s, now retired, who are actually bought into mm. negative gearing schemes and yeah. so on. Uh, and... Uh, benefit, took advantage of it uh, uh, when it was made available to them. Um, of course, I can't imagine people who are uh, contracted contractor lecturers in the 2020s being ever able to do that. I can't imagine it. So when we when we look at this word aspiration, there is a danger in it, and we have to. Uh, pay attention to it, and that will spin off into um, that will spin off into how we think about what's going on in the economy in the next year or two. Because, because when you look at it, you've got to keep in mind that, for example, if you're on what the tax cuts mean is that if you're on the minimum wage, it's about three dollars a day. Does that improve your standard of living very much? If you're on the meat wage... That's not even a cup of coffee in Melbourne. It's $5.30 a day. Maybe a coffee. If you're on the average wage, it's about a little bit more than that. Um, About, you know, nearly $6 a day. Now, does that really improve the standard of living for the majority of wage earners and their families. Uh, so the battle over the standard or the struggle over the standard living is going to continue, and it's going to continue in the context. As we learned this week, well, I'll just say, by the way, that those numbers indicate that, if, let's imagine if Morrison had introduced what Albo has now introduced, we would probably have opposed them. Mm. Yeah, well, you know what that brings to mind, a saying, uh, better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. <laughs> yes. Uh, so everything is relative, of course. So back to the economy. The, 
uh, it's really hard to get a handle on it from mainstream media and the way it reports. You've got to dig beneath the surface a bit, and even there you don't get all the answers unless you do the work yourself. But the message... The message generally is that even in mainstream media, they're saying the, the economy is stagnant. So for the remainder of the term of the Labor government, we have a stagnant economy that could get worse. <laughs> that, the, the, that's reinforced by now. Uh, to my knowledge, no mainstream commentator has reviewed the chart that the Reserve Bank produces to justify its whatever its decision is. And that shows and confirms that all uh, that globally the trend is continued stagnation in the global economy and in the major individual economies like the USA and China, the Eurozone and so on. Uh, continued stagnation and possibly it could get worse, possibly. Uh, the Australian industry group, now I, like, I know you love the Australian industry group, <laughs> so I couldn't leave him out of our little story today. Uh, they have just produced their new business activity report, and it's actually a very useful resource for any of us who want to pay closer attention, believe it or not. But it says that business activity in manufacturing particularly is not just stagnant but falling. Oh. Uh, and they've got a particular index that I won't get too technical about. Interestingly, but it's, it's quite comprehensive except in its, in its telling of the story, it leaves out the thing that's most important to their members. It says nothing about profit. You have to go elsewhere. So, you know, here is the most important thing to their members, but they exclude that from the story that they present mm. about. But nevertheless, their story is one of also one of stagnation and already in manufacturing. Some parts of manufacturing, it's worse. The profit story is... It, well, there'll be more to come in the future. But yeah, the present yeah. is that it's, it's, uh, profits are relatively high in manufacturing, not so much for smaller manufacturers than for the big ones. Now oh, well, that's normal. That's usual. So the big deal in the next few weeks, leading leading right through to the middle of the year, is going to be the budget. Yep. And what happens with housing? <laughs> and the Greens and David Pocock in particular are presenting the public with the opportunity to maintain the pressure regarding wealth taxes, especially capital gains and negative gearing. And so they should. And so they should. Uh, and therefore, and then the second big issue, because that's all about the battle over equality and fairness, and the second big issue, of course, is what the budget does about climate change. Mm, yes. Will it accelerate efforts to slow climate change down and lay the foundations potentially for reversal 10, 15, 20 years from now. Who knows? Well, that's a a good note to finish, you know, because we're right at the end of our time. So quickly. Yeah. Well, 
the only other one is the annual wage review, and we'll come back to that another time. The decisive factor is not just going to be what people like David Pocock say or the Greens. It's going to be whether all the people's organisations can get together and in their, in their solidarity with each other can help each other to make a big impact to prevent uh, the environment and Australians from being to, made to pay for continued stagnation or even worse. Ah, yes, all right. We'll leave it at that, eh? Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much for your conversation this morning, Don. Lovely to talk again, and we'll see each other soon. Yeah. Yeah, that was very interesting. That's Don Sutherland. Uh, we are com- We have come to the end of the program. We uh, followed some young voices in support of Palestine in the, this morning. We uh, talked to Lav- Lavinia, pa- uh, Lavania P- Pant from th- 350 dot org uh, environmental group they've got um, they're auspicing um, a storytelling tour starting on March the 6th uh, with traditional owners from the Torres Strait and Northern Territory for a night of storytelling down at uh, the oh, Hope Street uh, Collingwood radio yard you need to look that up on their their website. Uh, 350.org to get the details. There's going to be a a film screening and meet and greet 6.30 February the 13th at Collingwood Library. That's a Tuesday, so you can find out more about it if you go along to that. Uh, We we had a chat with um, Abdul Samar Hadati about his new book, The Unsent Condolences. uh, uh, It's available at Palava Press. Palava, www.palava.com. Uh, amazing book. Anyway, coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents, and we'll go out with, and I feel a bit like this Mia Dyson dancing on the edge.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.